Welcome to the Televerse, streaming in place. Avatar, the last airbender. Hello everybody and welcome back to Streaming in Place. We're here for week 18 and we are talking today about Avatar, the last airbender, book three, fire, episodes eight and nine. The puppeteer. Puppet master. Uh, the Puppet Master, thanks, Noel, and uh, Nightmares and Daydreams. So, Allison, I was going to start us, say we should start with the second episode, um, because there's a lot less to say about it, and then we can really dig in with the first one, and then I was like, hey, that's dumb, because the the first one is really disturbing, and let's end on the uh, yeah, Appa and Moa sword fight, because that's a much happier place to end. So uh, we're <laughs> going to start with the first episode, and I have a, I have a question for, for uh, Allison, and just really the room. Do we need a new category of called it for... How did you not call it? <laughs> I cannot, I could not believe, Allison, that given everything that you had brought up and talked about in our last episode, that when we got to what do you think the puppet, the puppet master is going to be about, you didn't, how did you not call it? <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I, I asked those questions. It's the second, maybe third time I brought up that question on the podcast, but I didn't actually think they would do it. Um, I could, it was like, but your question was about another term. So maybe like a, like a, like lulled it because it's just hilarious that I somehow called it without calling it. Like my actual prediction was ludicrously far off the mark. But then I described a big chunk of the events of the episode in some detail earlier. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, I just love the audacity of the Puppet Master. It is genuinely scary. It plays with horror tropes in a really interesting way. It's psychologically complex. It's philosophically complex. It's a lot of fun and, yeah, genuinely scary. The scariest... I don't know. I shouldn't have been surprised after both... I cannot remember the name of the spider spirit with the zillion faces. But Thank you. That terrifying creature. Um, Entity being... Uh, and then the buzzard hornets, I should not, and, and Appa's last days, I should not have been surprised that Avatar was willing to go there, but throughout the, throughout the episode, first, I, listeners, let me take it back just a second. (laughs) I texted Kate and Noel and was like, oh my God, I accidentally called it or something like that. You just said, Um, oh my God, that's it. Oh my God, right? (laughs) And then said like, something accidentally called it and then i just continued every two or three minutes to text oh my god (laughs) again and again and again until the end of the episode so i guess that's my response um shut up alexa i have to figure out how to turn that off um Anyway, I just rewatched it as well because we watched this Friday basically right after the podcast. I couldn't wait. So I just rewatched it as well and it holds up. It is upsetting. Um, I cannot wait to see what the, re- and by that I mean I'm dreading, but I also cannot wait to see what the repercussions of this decision are and the debate about what should and shouldn't be used and um, how you should conduct yourself in war and the idea that monsters beget more monsters and when you treat someone inhumanely you run the risk of creating another monster and i it just 
the layers have layers. The hills have eyes. I'm very into it. Noel, how did this hold up for you? (sighs) (laughs) (laughs) Listeners at home, Noel has made his own bar cart. Woo! And has some gin joining the thing because that is the appropriate response to the puppet master. Yeah. Yeah. I poured a little too heavy of a of a pour of gin there, but that's okay. I will nurse this. <laughs> God, no, that was an epic yes and. I yeah. just that was way to go, man. I'm so glad that my partner bought um, some gin as a treat for me, because <laughs> otherwise I wasn't going to have anything for this. Um, yeah, I just I felt I felt so bad for you, Allison. When you were doing the predictions for the Puppet Master and Kate and I, after we got off the call, we're both just like, how did she not put the two things together? Like, <laughs> it's, it's right there. It's the I'm name. really smart, except <laughs> for when I'm not. <laughs> but yeah, no, this episode is just, I remember being scary. Like, I remember like them playing up the horror tropes, the whole kind of politely making it fun, but also kind of making it creepy, like... Yeah, no, I think I like the tale of the man with the sword for a hand more. Um, I, I wasn't the only one thinking Ash, right? <laughs> right. No, no, no. Absolutely not. Um, and so, like, all this sort of stuff. But then you just, they keep building a bunch of stuff that's really creepy. But then I just kind of completely forgot about all the war stuff. Of that, all the layers of trauma that are baked into this episode. Because... The thing I remember is all the horror stuff of the creaky, the creepy woods, a creaky inn, Sokka being sort of aware of things, creepy puppets and walls, um, all this sort of stuff. But then I just forget about, oh, right, she learned to do this in a Fire Nation prison. Right. Right. Oh, yeah. And then you remember the Moonlight Duel because it's fantastic. Um, but you forget... The rats. (laughs) You forget the rats. Um, But you also forget the slow buildup of, you can find water anywhere. (gasps) It's it's all around you. Oh, taking it from the air. Ice daggers out of the air, right? Yeah. Taking water from the air makes sense. I'm okay with that. They've been kind of cloud bending a little bit, which is a little mixture of that. But then it's like, I'm going to take all the water from these plants and kill them. And you're like... I feel like we've taken a turn. (laughs) So I really like this episode. I think it's really, really great. Um, But what really makes it great is that the, all this, all the extreme survivalist and trauma approach of it that just layers it all in um, of like the harm and the traumatization of war that the show has been really good at, but then they just kind of go, <laughs> we got one more for you. Just one more real quick before we do this big fun two-parter. One more thing real quick. <laughs> so, no, I really enjoy this episode. It's great. I'm going to take a sip of this way too strong drink now and be very <laughs> upset and pleased with myself at the same time. <laughs> Kate, how did this hold up for you? I think one of the real strengths of this episode is yeah, that... Too strong. <laughs> <laughs> while it... You know, our our team comes clearly down on the side of Hama is wrong for what she's doing. 
Um, I don't think that the show necessarily does. It certainly doesn't come down on the side. Like, she's she's kidnapping and theoretically torturing people who had nothing to do with her, like, her experiences. You know, her capture, her torture. But I don't think it lets the... I don't think it lets the viewers off the hook as much as a lot of other shows would of this is a fire nation town. They are benefiting as a, as a country, as a nation, they are benefiting from this war. They keep taking land. They keep like, they're conquering the whole world. So there is, they don't go so easy with, with her and with our protagonist as to just be like, well, obviously everything that she's doing is wrong and she's just evil. They they instead say like they don't they she doesn't say what happened to her entire family who were all kidnapped and all in this prison but there's there's a reason she was the only one who made it out and it's not because she left her family behind you know uh and there is very much the indication that uh, like they just it, the the episode does not judge her in the way that I think a lot of other shows would. There's every indication by the end of the episode that Katara would do the same thing um, in in that situation. Not necessarily continue to torture people, kidnap people, you know, decades on. But that, you know, it, it doesn't allow any easy outs or any convenient and comfortable answers to what she is doing and what she has experienced. I like that it doesn't, because again, it has speaks to who the audience is, who the intended audience is. It doesn't um, get into the horrors she must have witnessed, but um, it certainly um, is not, it doesn't shy away from them either. Like when she's describing, they made sure that we only had water when like we were bound in such a way that they couldn't bend or that kind of a thing. So that means probably a bunch of people like, died of thirst, right? Like, just bare, like, staying right at the edge of a live because if they give them too much water, they'll be able to bend, you know? Like, it's really horrific what she experienced. And so, um, the desperation that comes with inventing a new style of bending like that, um, is really apparent. So I think that, you know, this is appropriately horrifying and appropriately messy and I think an important kind of note that that they wanted to hit before they go into our let's have our big two-parter like we're gonna win in the battle yay war right I think it's an important note for them to hit at this point in the season um also it just underscores how powerful Katara is that she sees this demonstrated for like a few minutes and is able to pick up the technique um, that says a lot about Katara. So, yeah. Allison, what do you think about the show's, like, what do you think that feel like the show's saying with its, um, with its ethics here and with its, like, uh, ex- exploration of Hama? You know, I think it does a really good job of not oversimplifying any of it. Beca- and I think part of what makes it so smart is that it's tied at least for me mentally what Hama does is in terms of um, the steps she takes to get free is exactly what Toph does when she's in her box right it's just the 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 medium that's different 
and it's horrifying, but they're horrifying. So is that so wrong? Well, of course it isn't. So then if she's lashing out against members of the Fire Nation, is that so horrifying? Well, yes, of course it is. And there's something in the middle and none of it's comfortable. And they don't say like, blood bending bad, escaping from prison, good. Um, or blood bending Sokka and Aang, bad, which of course it is. But blood bending Hama, good, because of course it isn't. The, but the end result is good. So then is, are, is the result bad if the means are bad? And these are questions that get addressed in, you know, thousands upon thousands of stories, pieces of journalism and laws address these questions. Like it, it's stuff that we still talk about. Does the end justify the means all the time? Uh, and it's an episode of Avatar The Last Airbender airing on Nickelodeon. You know, I'm sort of dazzled by it. Um, so I think they do a really good job of making sure that you connect the Hama who is terrifying and the way that they play with tropes around her and sort of evoking the ideas of Blackbeard and some like other, um, I guess, Bluebeard, not Blackbeard. I always can't. Anyway, mm-hmm. yeah, um, Bluebeard. Yeah. Blue yes, you got me. Um, all of those ideas to play on horror tropes while also showing us the flashbacks of her as a young woman undergoing, and then an older woman undergoing this horror, undergoing this, going this nightmare. Um, it's, it's incredibly clever because it doesn't allow you to only see her as one of those things. She's both of those things. They're the same person and it's experience and circumstance that has turned that girl into this woman. Um, And Marcus says, what's preventing her escaping again in the future? Which is a good question, because I assume the answer is, well, she's just going to die of dehydration. (laughs) Well, I mean, what's the answer to that question is, is that no one goes near her in a full moon. Like, that's the answer to that question, because the implication is, is that bloodbending is really only possible on a full moon. Right. Um, because of the intense amount of power that it grants waterbenders. So basically, she gets to fast for a day, <laughs> um, unwillingly, um, on a full moon, mm-hmm. is what kind of prevents her from escaping. In theory, but we'll have to see. In theory, right. right. Yeah. the uh, It's a testament to the episode and to the writing and performances and, and direction that... When they say you're going to prison for the rest of your life or for a really long time, you're going to be locked up for it's just like it stabs your heart mm-hmm. at the same time where you're like, there, there's all of these people that have do- specifically done nothing to her. Um, they have not done anything to her. And yet still the notion of her locked up again is really upsetting. Marcus, this is one of the most disturbing episodes of the series. And absolutely. Yeah, it is. Um, And I think one of the things that really drives it home is the fact that they make sure that Hama's from the Southern Water Tribe. Yeah. So that we get those flashbacks to the Southern Water Tribe in presumably it's like heyday, um, right before the Fire Nation attacked. (laughs) And so we get to see like a bit of their city basically. Um, It's not as developed as the Northern Water Tribe, but it's more developed than it is when we see it in the first season. And so watching that slowly dwindle 
and then having Hama basically be like, oh, no, I've won. I, I, this technique got passed on. The Southern Water Tribe heritage that I've started continues. I win. <laughs> Doesn't matter if I die now. I win. Um, and which gets, again, into that whole conversation about what's acceptable and of in warfare, but also the sins of warfare and how that becomes a generational conflict of just resentments building and how do you break that cycle? Can you break that cycle? And the ways in which that all works and doesn't work. I, the episode just does a really good job by finally introducing a Southern Water Tribe bender at this precise moment in such a targeted, pointed way. It just speaks again to the sheer amount of control that they have. Um, even though they also acknowledge in the art book that they were just like, we we did want to make sure that there were bad waterbenders, so we did this episode. <laughs> because th- people are complex, and they're just not all good. There were probably bad air nomads. Probably. Maybe. Um, the only other thing that I kind of have about this is the ways in which the Fire Nation, and specifically Sozin, I presume, was very, very targeted in the escalation of this war. From, yeah, no, gotta go after the air nomads first, um, because that's where the Avatar is. But also, like us, the air nomads can make their bending from anything around them. Because uh, can't eliminate air, because we need air. We should work on that somehow. Um, <coughs> but then they figured out ways to trap Water Tribe and Earth Kingdom folks, either in offshore drilling platforms or in st- dry just whatchamacallit dry cages and the ways in which the the military application of all of this is horrible and this shows the lengths to which the fire nation has gone but for me it's also all been a really good reminder about some of this stuff that happens particularly in the first season of legend of korra and the ways in which bending keeps getting used and deployed in ways that you don't expect and canceling those things out and i know i'm teasing something we're not going to be able to watch because of streaming rights for this show, but that hopefully listeners and audience will seek out um, because there's some stuff in the first season that deals with bending and how bending gets deployed that they're very aware of how their magic works and the limits of it. And it's really interesting um, because yeah, I I don't want to say anything more because then it just Mm -hmm. gets into a weird discussion of legend core and I don't want to do that. So I'm going to stop there and take a sip of my, again, way too strong of a drink. Um, But yeah, it's just, it's really good. And like Marcus says, this is one of the most disturbing episodes of the series. And I'm just going to say it is the most disturbing episode of the season. Abba's Lost Days is disturbing in a different sort of way for me. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's like a one-two punch kind of deal. And I'm glad they're separated by a season. Yeah. 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 Uh, Diego says that he's jumping to core after this and enjoy. It's very good. It's also different, but also kind of similar. It's, it's very good. Um, And Marcus says opposite day was more traumatic rather than disturbing. Um, Yeah. I would agree. I would agree with that Marcus. I don't know, Marcus. Wasn't it exactly what you wanted? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, poor Marcus. Um, Okay. Uh, Let's see. Any other moments or elements we want to specifically mention in this? I think that, (laughs) 
Marcus says, well, obviously. Um, so uh, I thought some of the, the misdirects were really good. Talking about imagery, obviously there's the Bluebeard thing with like the locked room and the, the secret cabinet where the bodies fall out with the puppets. But um, I like all the calls to, or like references of like the crone archetype mm-hmm. are played really well here. Um, have like to go with the um the the progression of the attack for the the war first taking care, taking out all the the nomad taking out genociding killing all of the air nomads first and then being like who can i go after next well the earth kingdom is very big so why don't we eradicate the water tribes next we'll start with the south um it, it's it speaks to um you know especially since we just had that flashback episode of like everyone can share in the glory and the progress that we're making here in the fire nation sure sure says it you're full of shit um i just want to kill lots of people and get more power um so i thought that there was a, just a lot wound through this episode like the fight is amazing and it's also every time that that cora uh, every time that katara just like destroyed it like killed a tree it made yes. me so angry. It made me so so sad. It like hurt every single time, um, but well, she, what she and she needed to do it. But like I could feel like this is a show that's so respectful of nature. So to watch her doing that, it uh, you know, so it's what she has to do. But it's also you can, I, you, I felt like you could feel the earth spirits being like, yes, I get you have to do this, but ow, this hurts every single time. They've done a good job of establishing their world um, to get me in a position. Where I'm, I connect not just with I like trees, but also this is wrong. There's a wrongness to this type of bending. Um, Marcus says the water tribe attack would have been after Sozin's time. No, um, Null says probably yeah, but plans because he had to stop um, for a while. So it depends on how long he <laughs> how long he lived after that volcano. Did you guys have any other elements you wanted to to shout out? Um, I just want to mention again that I think the way that horror tropes are used is so great because it just, the episode once again is sort of weaponizing your expectations against you. You think that Hama is going to be creepy and then she's a nice old lady. And then you think she's a creepy, nice old lady. And then she's the water tribe, nice old lady. And then she's training guitar and then the flowers die. And then it sets you up to think like, well, we're going to get a tender. This is why we can't do this. Or how can we return you to your people or something? And that's not where it goes at all. Um, And watching the pieces kind of come together so that it's possible to figure out what's going on and where it's going um, a couple of minutes to a few moments ahead of when it happens. It's just so clever. It's so well made. Yeah, um, for me, like, I think it's worth shouting out Tress McNeil, who voices Hama. Um, Tress does a lot of, like, old lady voices. Like, she does Agnes Skinner. She does um, Mom on Futurama, the Mom Corp head. Um, So she does, like, old lady voices real well, and she often gets cast to do that. But she's also voiced, like, Dot from Animaniacs for years. Um, but having her here is basically like a kind of signal to those who recognize her voice of like both, this could be very fine and it could also be very, very bad. Like it's a star casting type of deal that I think they don't use a lot, but they use really effectively here. Um, because this is a show who's pretty locked in and doesn't do like a lot of like 
way out there guest casting and but trust mcneil is such a veteran and such a pro within the animation um voicing industry um and marcus says mom and dot are mom versus dot are pretty much opposite characters and they are they're very very opposite um but that her ability to be here very specifically not that kind of over-the-top cackling but very clearly damaged and traumatized and finding that balance of insanity within the horror stuff that we're talking about here i think works really really well and kudos to both her as well as andrea romano who's the voice director for avatar the last Airbender, because andrea romano knows how to get performances out of people mm. as her whole oeuvre <laughs> attests um last thing for me the design of the of the technique with like the kind of claw, like mm-hmm. the hands pulled in really tight was super creepy. It's an excellent um, design for that style of bending. So Ugh. let's talk instead about Aang who doesn't have his pants. Koala uh, sheep, the cutest animals, <laughs> koala sheep. <laughs> I feel like other animals are cuter. I'll be They're honest, so cute. but They're they so are cute. cute. They're so uh, cute. They're it's weapons grade cute. It's the triumphant return of of Sokka's beard. Mm. Um, oh, it's so good. <laughs> Elson, what did you think of of nightmares and and daydreams? I uh, also watched this one twice because again Friday. Um, so I revisited this morning. Uh, is it still on TV? No, it's not. Um, I you know this one when I watched it the first time I was like, well, that was fine. You know, a bit of a letdown after this astonishing horror episode um but on the second time i just i appreciated it for what it is and specifically for how it looks so much more and what i want to know before i say too much more is i just want and we do this on debating doctor who too where i basically just say like alistair tell me all the things you know about this thing i know nothing about so noel please talk to me about all of the anime references that i didn't get (laughs) besides the dragon ball z which i actually did get Right, no, like, the big one is Dragon Ball Z here, but mostly what it is is the director for this episode, Ethan Spaulding, is their big um, anime guy on the show. Um, Weirdly, uh, uh, DiMartino and um, I can't remember the other creator's name off the top of my head, um, aren't, like, super duper into anime. It's not their, like, their bag, but Ethan Spaulding loves it, Um, and so... There aren't, like, a lot of really specific examples in this, but it's more so, like, hitting those kinds of things of... This is the conceptions of anime. So, like, when Aang comes back with that jacket that's got the collar up to his nose and it's got chains everywhere to keep his pants in place. But also, that's just a thing that people wear in anime is too many belts, too many chains. It's not practical. And yet, they keep dressing like this. So, I don't know that there are a lot of, like, specific call-outs in this, apart from the Dragon Ball Z stuff. Um, but it's it's just there to, like, kind of poke fun at these kind of grand anime shonen sort of epics. And then you get a Kurosawa reference with Momo. <laughs> Who doesn't want a Kurosawa reference with Momo? <laughs> Amazing. Great. I was going to say, uh, Marcus, how are you feeling about our Momo content here? Is this fit, you know, the request that we had? 
Marcus says it's by far the best part of the episode. Okay. <laughs> it's it's very good. Allison, you were saying? Um, I, you know, as I was watching, like I said, I was just like, oh, there are a bunch of th- references I'm not getting here. I can't wait for Noel to tell me about them. Uh, but I was also making connections to, uh, and I don't know if these references were intentional, but was making connections to other non-animated, well, one of them is, um, pieces of storytelling i thought a lot about this is the animated one about heffalumps and woozles the um mm-hmm. winnie the pooh nightmare yeah. song mm-hmm. um which terrified me as a kid rightly so it terrifies anyone right now like right you it's be, scary you can be in your 30s and it's scary yeah. yeah if honey's what you covet you'll find that they love it because they guzzle up the things you prize oh. <laughs> um uh, I also thought a lot about uh, Twin Peaks. Like there were some elements that were very Lynchian. Um, specifically the first time that Momo speaks, I was like, this is very like, we're in the lodge now. Um, <laughs> it, that was great. Uh, and then I also thought a lot, and I'm guessing that this is just similar terrain because timeline wise, it's possible that one maybe could have inspired the other, but I doubt it. Um, which is, I thought a lot about, uh, the episode of 30 rock Tracy does Conan, um, where Liz and Tracy are both hallucinating Tracy because he is not taking his medication. Uh, and Liz, because she's, um, she hasn't eaten and she's sleep deprived. Um, so they start seeing Rachel Dratch as, the little blue man and um i am a stabbing robot i will stab you yep totally so it was really great to sort of look at all these threads which may or may not be connected and it may just be connections i'm making in my mind um but i really appreciated the different versions the different colors of this thing that ang is experiencing because on the surface this is just ang is worried about the battle the episode um and also zuko is still having feelings the episode um but when you start to think about all of the different it's not just this is the no pants nightmare and this is the math test nightmare and this is the my friends are in danger nightmare it's different visual styles different storytelling styles all sort of reinforcing the same point which i think is really cool and smart yeah I definitely thought of, uh, well, Marcus mentioned earlier um, that, like, the Link at the end, looking at a bit more of a Link character design to go along with, um, listeners, if you don't know, that's the main character of Legend of Zelda, um, to go along with the Dragon Ball Z look at the beginning. Um, I was definitely, I kept seeing visuals in this, and there were just kept being moments where I was like, ah, I've seen pictures from that anime, but I don't know what it is. Um, but that's another shout out. I'm sure people love it. And, and, and the, the energy of this one, like the, the feel of it just is so, it's such a necessary palate cleanser after the last one that, um, when, when Momo starts talking and then, uh, we cut to external perspective and, and Aang starts talking to Momo and just chittering, right? Um, it's hilarious and delightful. And then by the time that uh, Appa starts talking, I'm just, first of all, tickled that uh, we get to hear actual, like, non-animal sound voices <laughs> for from, for both of them. But it's just, it, it, it matches that feeling of just having been up way too long. And, like, we, it's like, have I been drinking? No, I haven't. I just haven't been sleeping. Um, and everything's just going to, li- that little... St- step to the side that that you do find so often in Lynch like but but like 
without the disturbing elements of that in the same way. It, this one wasn't disturbing to me. I usually Lynch, I find to be disturbing. Um, and so the, it was just a nice fun way to do that before we head into our big two parter. Yeah. And I think that this episode is really necessary, at least for like Aang, because so much of his whole deal is how scared he is of being the avatar. And what does that mean when you're actually going to have to face the Fire Lord now? How do you process that when you're 12? You process it by having a lot of weird dreams, including imagining your your Sky Bison standing on his behind legs and talking. <laughs> and by far and away, one of the more disturbing things that this show has done is Appa on his back legs standing upright. And it's just like, no, absolutely not. Um... <laughs> Just, it's not okay. Um, but, like, Allison made a point of mentioning, like, the changes in animation style, which even happens with, like, the koala sheep cheering them on becomes, like, this kind of weird Looney Tunes slash meets anime, like, collision of things. That's really, really great. Um, so it's all fun. It's not, like, the best episode the show's ever done. There's a lot of, like, really, I think, good stuff in it. Like, I personally really love that weird circular zoom that happens in the um during the yoga scene onto Aang's face that's just something that's really not done within like western animation in particular but it would definitely be something that you would do in like live action television but then they just kind of take the time to rotate and zoom at the same time and it's really effective in terms of getting you into Aang's headspace even more so um but it's fun. It's silly. Um, you get Dee Bradley Baker doing still the spoken word voices for um, uh, for Appa and Momo, which is fantastic. But then, you know, you get a Walton's joke. And I don't know what more you need from television than a Walton's <laughs> joke. Yeah, I feel like this is a filler episode, but it's like really yeah. entertaining filler. Yes. So I'm okay with that. The f on my first viewing, I was like, that was fine because it felt like filler. It felt like, oh, we accidentally got an extra episode. Um, what are we going to do? I know. Let's do a dream nightmare episode. But yes. on a revisit, I appreciated it much more. Yeah. I also think, like, if this wasn't here, then I would be very concerned about Katara and her headspace in the two-parter coming straight off of the, the previous. Mm -hmm. So seeing that she is like, okay, you know, on the scale of things and she's like, you know, because we leave her in such an upset place in such a disturbing place. And so to have like, she's had some time, like it's just, it's just a way to feel the time between that and this. Um, Marcus says, I was a little underwhelmed by this episode. Dream episodes are very common, and I don't think this episode really elevated from the others. Momo and Apo's sections were the only part that I really enjoyed. He had four swords! It was great. He had four swords. It's it's one of my favorite fight sequences in the show. It's so good! <laughs> it's very good. Um, the thing I do think we should mention is the stuff with Zuko, I think, is actually... Like, that's the part of this that isn't filler to yes. me. Yeah. Um, it's a significant... Um, thing for him to experience even if most of it's off screen and so like where he ends the episode versus where he begins the episode feels pretty different i also like that the stuff we get with may here um because she still feels like the same character but it it feels like th this feels like more who she wants to be 
versus mm-hmm. who she has to be when she's traveling around with Azula. Um, and I think that's it. I like that there's a little distinction there. Did you guys have any thoughts on, on that corner? Right. Zuko. Um, <laughs> because it's been like, it's been two episodes where he has not appeared. They haven't done anything with the Fire Nation um, up to this episode. So it's just like, you're right. There are characters that exist in this show. Um, because the Runaways is like all, is all Toph and Katara all the time. And then it's all Katara and bloodbending in the Puppet Master. So it's just like, oh, right. There are other characters on this show. Um, yeah, I agree that this is who May sort of would like to be. But I also like seeing Zuko chafe, but also want to indulge in these things that he's been, that he has been denied slash denied himself for so long. Um, and get those things, but also be like, but it's just right there. I don't need the carriage. It's right there. I can just walk through this crowd of adoring fangirls <laughs> um, and get there. But I like all of that and how they sort of really play up the opulence of the Fire Nation court down to, you'll have to wait for a royal hair treatment. Um, it's just like, I, I miss that. I, I miss getting my hair washed by someone else and then getting mm-hmm. it cut. So that hit kind of hard, watching Azula get her hair done. <laughs> yeah. I just, I, I just want to talk to people in person. <laughs> it's just, I just want someone to touch me. Just kidding. Don't ever touch me. <laughs> um, any, any final thoughts on this one? Baby, you're my forever girl is just the best <laughs> Aang trying to be smooth thing of all time. It's just so smooth and so not smooth at all. And I love it very much, which is why it's been my other name for this entire time. <laughs> because it's hilarious. I mean, I don't know what to add to that. That's Yeah, I, I mean, how do we follow that up? Yeah, I, I know. agree. Go watch your Jimbo on the Criterion channel, everyone, so you can really appreciate that Momo thing. Because that's all it is, is your Jimbo. And your Jimbo's fantastic. Yeah. It's really Watch good. Watch Jimbo just because it's awesome. And yeah, no, Toshiro Mifune is fantastic in it. Yeah. He's fantastic in everything, though. It's kind of yeah. disgusting how good he is. Mm. Can we just <laughs> well, make this a Toshiro Mifune podcast instead? I would be, yeah, absolutely. We can all do that. Right, score. It's like, that's that, the, like, the comparison of, can we make this a prequel trilogy podcast? Like, can we make this a Toshiro Mifune podcast? These are very different things. But it all uh, comes together because George Lucas really wanted Toshiro Mifune to play Obi-Wan Kenobi originally yeah. in 1977. And he this said, is no. not a lie. I'm being very serious. He yeah. wanted Mifune for that role yeah i yeah that makes sense and yeah okay well that wraps up our conversation about the puppet master and nightmares and daydreams um if uh if if marcus or diego you have any final thoughts throw them in the chat otherwise allison uh our next episode is the (laughs) two-parter what do we have oh have to yeah. take the penalty. okay um so these episodes are called uh the day of black sun and it's part one, uh, the invasion, and part two, the eclipse. Please make a Twilight joke. Please make a Twilight joke. I mean, abs. That like that's abs. all I've got. Twilight. Abs. There, there'll be lots of abs, um, and someone will sparkle. There we go. That's all I got. I I don't. Twilight is a is a pop culture blind spot for me. I'd be oh, okay. more at home making Fifty Shades jokes. Okay. Uh, so maybe like oh well to. 
defeat Ozai, they have to go into the the red room. That doesn't see. I just no, now it just feels weird. Work. So no, yeah. uh, no. Um, I'm gonna, and on an episode where we've referenced the Waltons. How dare? How you? dare I? <laughs> uh, I'm going to predict that there is an invasion and then an eclipse. Okay. With a guest okay. voice performance from John Leguizamo. <laughs> Marcus does have a good prediction, though. Or my prediction of Azula overthrowing her father happens at the end. Ooh, I like okay. that prediction. It, 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 if it's going to happen anywhere, it's going to happen at the midseason point. So. Well, Azula knows about the invasion. Yes. We have not seen them, like... Zuko didn't seem to be talking about, oh, there's going to be an invasion after the big war meeting. So we don't know whether she's told anyone. Mm-hmm. So we'll see what Azula. happens with that. Azula always lies. Azula always, always lies. lies. Except for she's definitely not lying about how you're going to have to wait your turn for a royal hair combing. It's very yeah. obvious. There's only one basin. This isn't a thing that you could do more than once. They don't accept parties. It's one at a time, very socially distanced. They just need a screen for their face, and then and then it'll be good. Screen gloves. Change that comb. Dip it in the stuff. The solution. Yeah. You know? Well, that will wrap up I our conversation. Us. I really <laughs> do. Me too. <laughs> Good times. Oh, we'll be back tomorrow with more uh, fun, interesting, fun things. Interesting, fun Co- things. More conversation tomorrow. Yeah. Cheers, uh, Noel. Cheers, yeah. Allison. <laughs> Thank you to everybody who's listening at home. Thank you to Marcus and Diego for hanging out today. And we'll see you tomorrow. Bye. 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 Bye.